I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Today's episode is on all of the common training mistakes that we see and doing some of these quick tweaks to these training errors can really help propel you forward in your running. So we're gonna share some of the things that we see really often when people come to us initially and then what those tweaks might be. Um, And there are a lot of different training philosophies out there, uh, but most of them all have a few key principles that are common throughout pretty much all of these different training philosophies like Jack Daniels, Hanson's. Um, there's just so many different, you know, training philosophies out there, but they all pretty much have the same underlying principles because in physiology and in like human kinesiology, all of those things, there are just core principles at play. And even if you're someone who is really into strength training or really into different sports, there are really key elements that are kind of similar throughout, right? Like you have to have stress stimuli and then you have to have rest. And there's just a lot of things um, we see runners do that maybe they aren't aware of, oh, like this is too much stress or this isn't enough rest. Um, So we just wanted to share what some of those are and then how you can do some tweaks so that you can really start to get more benefits out of your training because sometimes athletes are working harder and harder and they get frustrated because they're not improving. And so these might be some areas where you realize you could be improving if you just made some quick tweaks. So these are some of the most common things that we see runners do. So Jason, can you go over what those are? Yeah, the first one is not getting not enough rest or having having your hands in too many activities, basically. So um, we'll cover some of those examples. And then the next one is running too fast on your easy days and then running the wrong types of workouts and then over-focusing on long runs and not accumulating enough mileage. That's a big one. And then um, I think one of the last ones is not sleeping enough or having poor nutritional or lifestyle habits. And so kicking things off with that first one, um, not getting enough rest and basically having your hands in too many activities. I do see this a lot, especially with new athletes that maybe come to me. And one of the first things we have them do is fill out an intake form, which Uh, allows us to kind of see what they're currently doing as well as gauge their um, previous training, uh, past racing experiences, all of those things. And a lot of times I'll ask on there or I'll, I'll see on there, they indicate that they do this on Mondays, this on Tuesdays and so on. And a lot of times there is a lot of variety for some athletes and for others, they just like running. Right. And so for, if you're that type of person, then this, this one may not apply to you as much, but I do see some athletes um, you know, they, they like CrossFit or they're going to Orange Theory a couple times a week. And we have to think about um, how to maximize their training. And so 
a lot of times that comes um, with a sacrifice of cutting down on those other activities. Yeah, so that's always a tough one when people come to us and they fill out the intake form and it's just like so many different um, activities that they're doing, which I can totally relate to because I personally like to take some of these fitness classes because we're members at Lifetime Fitness. And it's like if you're paying for the membership, you want to go, you want to get something out of these classes. But what's really important um, as a runner and as just an athlete in general is you want to figure out like what are my goals really, right? So unfortunately, like you can't become, you know, really, really great at two different highly taxing sports at the same time. I mean, otherwise you'd see people you know, in the Olympics doing the marathon and then they'd also like double up and do swimming, right? Or something like that, which if you're doing a triathlon, that is its own sport in and of itself. But what's really challenging is when you have two things that you really like to do and then you have to figure out like which one really do I want to focus on either this season or just for my life in general? Because if a lot of people have these long-term goals of running a certain time in the marathon, or let's just use like, you know, the very uh, cliche goal that a lot of people have is, you know, I want to qualify for Boston. And that is a pretty um, intense goal, right? So if you're going to want to qualify for Boston and you've been running for a really long time and you're still a ways away, um, this is one of the areas where I would look at. And if you have a lot of um, your eggs in, in multiple baskets, like mm-hmm. you're doing CrossFit a few times a week, you do Orange Theory, um, you do spin classes, all those things. We really want to hyper-focus on the specificity of your training. So if you really want to qualify for Boston, we are going to have to have the foundation of your training be running-based um, because running more is actually going to yield to those better results. And mm-hmm. some people might be like, well, I'm not a high mileage runner. And I totally understand that, but you still want running to be your core focus. And then what we would do is if you don't run high mileage, we kind of fill in the blanks of we're going to do easy spinning. We're not going to be going to like a spin class on your easy recovery day, right? It would have to be like an easy spin. So sometimes people like to get out of, you know, doing the the easy days. And so they'll be like, oh, it's too boring or whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they want to go to like Orange Theory on their easy running days. But I would say that Orange Theory is typically going to be like a hard workout day for a lot of my athletes. Um, I will kind of have a conversation with people and say, if you are going to take Orange Theory easy, which is definitely not the principle of the class by any means, and I don't really think it's an environment where people do take it easy, right. then you could essentially mm-hmm. do it on your easy day. But I like to think of Orange Theory as a workout in and of itself. So it is a hard day. Um, And if you're doing Orange Theory in the place of a workout that you would be doing that's running related, supposed to be specific to the marathon distance, um, that's where we really see that you're not going to be able to reach the same level you would if you were focusing a plan that was really specific to the marathon distance or to whatever you're training for as a runner. Right. And that's what it boils down to, right? Is the majority of people that maybe fall in this camp, um, they probably haven't reached their potential as a, as a runner, right? Because like you said, they haven't laid the foundation. The first priority maybe isn't running or it's not like, you know, the, they don't have most of their eggs in that basket. And so I recently had an example of an athlete that came to me, she took orange theory classes four days a week. Mm. And so the goal for her, she, and she, had, she was a pretty good runner, but she hadn't put in that consistent, uh, training cycle of, um, you know, marathon training. And, and she had some pretty, pretty high goals. And so I was able to kind of convince her to drop down to twice a week for Orange Theory during the off season. 
And then once we get into marathon training, she agreed to give it up completely. Um, and so that was actually really cool to see. And we're going to see how that pays off for her. And so I think it boils down to just, yeah, what are your priorities? And then the other thing that can't, comes to mind is if you are maybe in this camp, um, chances are you're maybe struggling with some of the other principles that we're going to be talking about too, because you maybe just don't have like that knowledge or the experience to be able to um, do do what it is that we're going to be talking about next, which comes to uh, which workouts start coming into play and other factors. Right, and I love how you added that your athlete, um, she's a pretty fast runner, right? And mm-hmm. so I think there's that misconception of you hear you hear coaches on this podcast like us saying, oh, you know, if you do all of these extra classes, like you're not going to be as fast as you potentially could, and that's like such a can of worms because you can still get pretty fast, right? Like you can reach, you can still maybe improve to a point, but eventually as athletes, we all kind of reach a place where maybe we feel like we're plateauing. And that's probably why, you know, your athlete reached out because it's like she wasn't seeing the same improvements or maybe she wasn't feeling as strong. And that's really where we're trying to get that extra edge, right? So maybe you did all of these classes for a long time and you still saw improvements with your running and you were able to do that. Um, but then as you reach that law of diminishing returns, it's like you have to do every little extra thing to get that extra edge. And so that's really where we're coming into play with this. Um, but that's why it's really important to focus on these things because maybe you could kind of get away with it earlier in your running career and still make improvements. But as you get faster, it becomes harder to get faster. And so these little tweaks here and there are some of the things that you could maybe do to reach that next level. And then it comes into like, how do you find balance, right? So some people really just genuinely enjoy doing these activities. And so how do you recommend athletes find a balance here? Um, is it more season by season or on like a case by case basis or what are your recommendations? Yeah. You know, it kind of boils down to, um, the season that they're in and their goals, right. And what Mm -hmm. they're training for. Um, you know, each athlete's going to be completely unique and different. Some people might really enjoy yoga. And so that's something we can maybe add more frequently as opposed to some of these other classes that we talk about, you know, and, and, you know, as far as like biking, spinning, you know, it depends on if they're taking a class versus uh, biking at home leisurely versus taking a Peloton class. And so, you know, we have to kind of factor that in too, because sometimes that could be harder than others. And so I, I think it just depends on what the athlete's goals are in the near future and their long-term goals. And then just trying to lay, you know, craft a plan that helps set them up for that. And I know, um, a lot of times triathletes, you know, they, um, you know, if, if their season is, let's say about the, about kicks off in March and then it's going to go the majority of the summer. So then maybe in the off season, that's when they can focus on maybe running more since they're not going to be, you know, um, necessarily having all those swims and bikes. Right. Yeah. Triathlon training is so much more unique. And I feel like if you're tri training, um, I mean, it's more common that you would see someone doing doubles. So doubles is like where you do two workouts in a day. So you might, you know, run in the morning, swim in the afternoon, or um, you might take a spin class. And so that's where some of these classes actually kind of fit within a tri schedule is like, okay, you could potentially do a spin class, but we also want to make sure we're getting some of those outdoor rides. So maybe you're doing a spin class like every other week versus like, twice a week, right? Um, And so that's just where I kind of see it falling is like, let's try to prioritize what you really need to be focusing on for your training, right? So outdoor rides is really important and um, obviously doing like biking workouts specific to what you are training for is important, but sometimes those can be covered in a spin class. Um, in, in terms of like runners and running related specifically, a lot of those classes, um, 
would have to be something you would probably double up on because if you're doing these classes, like let's say you did a running workout and then the next day you're going to like an intense like body pump or I don't even know really how intense body pump is, but like an Orange Theory class, um, you're kind of setting yourself back because it's like you just did a hard run and now you're going to like this hard workout class and then like when is your next hard running workout? So if it's, you know, two days later, you're just not going to have enough time to recover from all of that. So what I like to recommend doing is like keeping those hard days hard. So if you have a hard running workout, well, maybe that's the day that we're going to do some lifting or maybe you're like a CrossFit person and maybe that's the day we're going to do CrossFit. But I don't really think that it is really possible to have more than, you know, two hard running days per week, Mm -hmm. um, like two stress days a week. So that's where it's like, you know, if you're used to going to CrossFit like four days a week, we might need to like cut that back to like two times a week to really be able to really focus on your running so that you're not totally destroyed when it comes to your next um, running workout. Because if you don't actually have time to recover in between, what you end up doing is you're digging a hole, like you're digging your body into this hole and it's never able to actually recover. Um, You're never able to put like dirt back in there to kind of like recover and regenerate and so you're just like burning yourself out and so you wouldn't necessarily notice it right away but it's something that comes a lot later and so that's why some of these plateaus occur because it's like you're just never allowing your body Mm -hmm. a chance to make those adaptations yeah especially these classes that do a lot of running like there there are some crossfit gyms that i guess offer a class similar to orange theory right so you're doing i had an athlete say the workout for her Tuesday CrossFit class was eight by 400. And I said, well, we have a workout scheduled for Thursday. So I'm going to just swap that and just take it out. And that way your workout this week can be Tuesday only then. And so, um, you know, and then that maybe gives us some room to maybe insert a little progression or some uh, longer steady state run in her long run after we've had a few days to recover from that. And so just kind of being flexible with your schedule. And the other thing with the orange theory is I know a lot of times they don't tell you ahead of time what the focus might be. So it could be hills one day, it could be, you know, it could be mm-hmm. like zone five sprints. It could be more steady state. And so, um, that's, that's a tough thing too, is not knowing ahead of time and being able to kind of like plan your workouts around that, knowing that some of those might be a little bit more taxing than others. Right. My general rule is like, let's try to avoid any sort of classes where you're going to be doing any sort of sprinting. Like if you're running faster than your easy pace in a running class, that's going to be really difficult to, to try to like navigate your training around. Um, and it might be okay like during the off season, but if you're training really for like a marathon specific training cycle, that's where it can be a real challenge. Um, some classes that I think fit well with a marathon training cycle might be like a vinyasa flow yoga class or um, Lifetime has a class called like Root. So it's basically like holding stretches for several minutes so it really depends on like the type of yoga that you're doing um there's a class called like warrior sculpt that lifetime has that i definitely do not think is a um a good a good class it's very intense right so like you're doing burpees and there's like weights involved and there's yoga poses and it's heated and so that's a little bit more intense so you really want to read like the class description and ask yourself like okay what day of the week am I doing this? What is the purpose of that day, right? So if it's a hard day, maybe you can get away with a little bit of harder class, but if you're on an easy day, we wanna do a lot of restorative type of work. So maybe that's, you know, like a slower type of yoga class that's more, um, you know, recovery related. On those harder days, maybe you can get away with doing a harder class, but again, you really wanna be reevaluating, you know, at the end of a week, after the end of the month, 
did I overdo it? Was this too much? What should I be tweaking? And really focusing on that instead of just like randomly um, doing doing classes. So moving on to the next point here is something we talk about all the time and it's running too fast on your easy days. And so traditionally we all have said on this podcast many, many times and on our Instagram account, if you follow that, we just use this like general rule of thumb when we're talking about easy pace. We'll be like, yeah, two to three minutes per mile slower than your 5k pace, right? And so I think people think of that as like a hard rule, right? They'll be like, okay, well, this is my easy zone. And if you go to the VDOT calculator, actually, it's usually right around there as well. So I know that when I put my marathon time or 5k time anytime into the VDOT calculator, it tells me a very specific easy range. Um, And what I actually find just from my own personal experience in the last few years is that I actually have to run slower than that pace and I also have to run slower than about three minutes per mile slower than my 5k pace. Um, And that's something that I just learned over the years. Like my easy pace is more three to four minutes per mile slower than my 5k pace. So a lot of people do slow down on their easy days. Maybe they're in that two to three minutes per mile slower than their 5k pace range. Maybe they're following exactly what VDOT says and they're sticking into that quote unquote easy pace range. But maybe that's not like slow enough for you. Maybe we need to go even slower um, because some people it's just they need more of a recovery. They need slower runs, especially if it's the day right after a workout and you're doing lifting. Sometimes you need to go even slower. So like a recovery pace would be even slower. And so many years it's like I was doing my quote unquote easy pace according to VDOT. But like, I always felt like crap. I was always feeling like trashed legs and people were like, oh, you should just reduce your mileage. Like that'll be it. Um, And I still just never really felt good. But at the end of the day, looking back, it's like, well, I wasn't allowing myself to go any slower than like what VDOT told me I should go. And so then I was putting labels on it like, oh, I can't handle more than X miles per week or um, just like, oh, like I'm, I'm sore and I can't, yeah, I can't handle the training or whatever. But when I started leaning in and being like, actually you just go as slow as you can on your easy days. That's when Mm -hmm. I was able to pick up the mileage, start seeing improvements and uh, not really feel as terrible all the time during training. I just remember my legs used to feel so bad, but now it's like, they feel great all the time. Yeah, you know, and I struggle with this concept as well, especially probably the first, I don't know, 10, 12 years of running. Um, I always thought that my easy pace had to be as close to seven minutes as possible because that's just what we did in college and high school and stuff. So um, I kind of, you know, carried that into my um, early uh, long distance running days in the marathon, half marathon training. And I just wasn't ever able to kind of increase my mileage, probably because like you said, I was just always feeling tired. I wasn't recovering in between workouts and then it would basically end up with some form of injury that that caused a setback and so i think if i just would have slowed down i could have maybe increased my mileage i could have got more quality long runs in would have been better prepared ultimately for the marathon and even the half marathon yeah i mean that's a really good point and there's a lot of people you know now we're in the age of social media right like there's strava there's instagram and even just if you have like running friends who like want to meet up and run with you and you have similar race times right so almost everyone that i know that runs similar race times to me it's like they're going way faster on their easy runs and so that can be like a cause of frustration if you're trying to like 
you know, come up with a, a running partner or you're trying to find someone to like run um, your easy days with, you might have to like go with someone that is naturally even just slower than you on race day. Um, and, and then like there's a time and a place for it, right? So maybe do workouts with these people instead of doing your easy runs. Um, there's just a lot of ways around it or maybe ask like, hey, are you open to going um, like slower than what we're, what we're doing? Because um, I know that can be a lot of peer pressure, right? Uh, that's also true with like group runs, right? So we used to go to Lifetime Fitness. Um, they had like a run club that we used to go to and they had like a group called the Top Guns or whatever. So it was like anyone who ran probably like faster than the 320, 330 marathon. Yeah, you guys like all go and run together. And I did have that. I was like, oh yeah, checkbox, that's me. And then you go out and people are running like 7.30 pace for their easy days. And I was like, okay, like what, what's your guys' like marathon times? And they're like, oh, you know, like 3.15. And I'm like, okay, so your marathon pace is 7.20. And why are we going 7.35 <laughs> pace right now? Yeah. But it was like, I didn't have anyone else to run with. So like my other option was like go with the, you know, f slower people. But then they were, they would literally, I got asked, why are you running with us? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, uh, sorry. And so then it's just, I'm running by myself. I'm going to these groups. So I think it's just really important to keep those things in mind that like, these are sometimes things that will come up. And sometimes we have to like ask ourselves, is this group like helping or hurting me? Right. Everyone runs with a group for a different reason. Some people are running because they literally just want to, you know, connect with people. But if you have like these really aggressive goals, like I really want to like run my fastest possible marathon. Maybe we need to like reevaluate how these groups are fitting in and maybe there's like a better group for us out there. Yeah. And you know, most the people that I think struggle with this a lot of times it's because, you know, maybe there's this fear of, um, you know, not improving their fitness. Right. Other people, I feel like it, they just don't know any better. And right. so I think depending on what camp you're in, um, if you start doing what the next, the next part that we're going to talk about, if you start doing that, it's going to naturally slow you down on your easy days, because mm -hmm. I think you're going to need to really embrace the recovery so that you get more quality sessions. And so I think that most people who are pushing their everyday run, their everyday runs, they're just not getting those quality sessions in. Totally right. And so the next thing we want to talk about, obviously, because it's kind of like the yin and the yang, right? We have to have those easy days and then we have to have the hard days. And so when people hear that, they're like, okay, I'm going to keep my easy days easy and then I'm going to do my hard days hard. And they kind of like, once you really start leaning into that easy day um, concept and you're going pretty slow on your easy days relative to like what you're used to, I think there's like this sense of panic that kind of happens with some runners where they're like, oh, um, I'm going really slow on my easy days, so I really need to like hammer this workout. Like I need to like prove something or, you know, there's like that weird, I don't know what you would call it, but there's that sense of I need to prove something or I need to mm -hmm. really go hard. And so what ends up happening is sometimes they give like these 100% effort on their workout days. So they end up like racing their workouts. Um, and so when you're doing basically a maximal effort on workout days, what that ends up being is a race effort. And so traditionally a race effort takes about a week, maybe two weeks to recover from something like that. Um, but what we're asking most people to do in training is workout effort. And so we're not gonna be at 100%, we're gonna be performing at like 75, 80, so that your body can recover in like those three days in between your workouts. But if you're going like hard all the time, again, what's gonna end up happening is you're digging that hole. So that's kind of like a visual, right? Like you're digging a hole and you just don't have time for, you know, the, the dirt to go back in the hole and for you to recover. It's like, you're just constantly digging and there's just not enough time in between. And so what people end up doing is they're doing the wrong type of workouts. First of all, we see that a lot 
but also they're running the wrong paces in their workout um, and they're doing it way too hard of an effort. So in the summer, right, you might say, well, the pace that I was assigned was like seven minute pace. But if it's 80 degrees or 80% humidity and 70 degrees, seven minute pace is no longer seven minute pace. Seven minute pace is now like, you know, 720 pace. So we really want to be cognizant of that, especially in these summer months. Yeah, and this is one where I think the most common uh, mistakes that we see are probably people that are training for the marathon that want to, you know, get faster and they may be running a lot of paces way too fast, right? So they're doing their interval work too quick. Um, it's rare that we see it the other way around where people are trying to get faster and they just they do a lot of tempo work and they lack the speed. But um, I think, yeah, you're either someone that maybe just kind of never does workouts to challenge you, you know, or you're doing them maybe too fast and you're kind of lacking that in-between area, which is like the threshold and the marathon pace work. And I think that's where you get the most bang for your buck. And let's be honest, that those are the hardest if you're not used to it because you're doing it for longer, right? So you're running, you know, longer sessions that are taking you 10, 15 minutes or, you know, even a mile holding this pace. And so, yeah, anyone can go out and maybe hold a 200 or a 400, but have you ever done anything that challenges you? And so that's kind of where... I think a lot of this is it becomes mental and it helps you with developing your mental toughness as well as well as you know producing those physiological changes that we need yes definitely and i know kind of when i got into more of like the competitive marathoning and really trying to like reach my potential now this is probably like seven or eight years ago um a lot of the workouts that i was doing i you know like i knew what sort of paces i should be hitting for workouts but i got this like big inflated ego by okay like maybe I can just do a little bit faster or like I would be at the track or I'd be doing my workout and be like oh like I'm actually running a little bit faster than prescribed mm -hmm. and so you kind of get in that habit of like oh like I actually aced this workout or you're trying yeah. to like win the workout when in reality that's not productive at all so what ended up happening I started it would be like okay just a couple seconds per mile faster um over the course of like a year a year and a half it's like I was like racing, like I would be like 100% all effort on these workouts, not really knowing it because you get trapped in this whole cycle and it happens so gradually and slowly over time that you don't even realize what is happening. Um, so I look back at some of those workouts now and I'm like, how, how was I doing that? You know, it's just so taxing on the body. So if you're in a situation where you feel like you're working really hard on your workout days and you're just like not seeing um, the sort of like race results that some of these workouts would predict or you just feel like you're not you're not improving after a series of months that may be a sign that you're doing too hard of an effort either on your easy runs or on your workout days and it's really important um, to know that you're not supposed to be exceeding mm -hmm. what these paces are so if you do a race uh, you know and the VDOT calculator, I like to do the shorter distance races in there or a performance. Let's say you do a performance that you're like, yeah, this was indicative of my fitness. You know, we all have bad races where we're like, well, that was really bad. But think about the last couple of races you've done, which is the one where you're like, this is a really good indicator of my fitness. Plug it into VDOT. We don't want you to be going faster than those paces. So if you're trying to do like a threshold workout and it says threshold pace is seven minute pace. Mm -hmm you're not actually getting the benefit of the workout at all by going 645 pace. That's not, it's a completely right. different workout then. Um, and so I used to think, well, I can go a little bit faster, but really like threshold is very specific. Threshold is like a feeling. <laughs> we don't want to exceed threshold because then we're not actually working our threshold system and we're not actually improving. Right. Um, and so a lot of people get that one wrong. 
Yeah, and I was guilty of this too for so many years coming out of college with my background, you know, being what I would consider like middle distance, basically. Um, you know, I'd occasionally dabble in the 5K, but I was like a mile 3K guy. And so I would do a lot of reps, a lot of intervals, a lot of VO2 max work. And I thought, well, I can just maybe run a little bit slower, but I'm still gonna focus on these, you know, ladder repeats. I'm gonna do like a mile cut down then, or a mile 1200, 800, 400, and that should get me ready for the half marathon, right? Well, I lacked a lot of threshold work. And I think, you know, the difference there is if you're running, yeah, anyone, you know, so I'm running the miles, maybe like 520 pace or something like that. And then everything shorter than that is less than that in duration, right? Well, what's going to happen when I get to like mile six of the half, I'm only used to running hard sessions for a couple of minutes. That's where I needed to really focus on more threshold training so I could hold it a little bit slower pace for longer, right? And so it, it just kind of was, it, it eventually clicked for me. Um, and then the other thing, thing too was it took me so long to recover from these sessions that I wasn't even mm -hmm. able to do any of the threshold because I had to like get the long run in. And so, and then it took me a while to recover from that. So it was kind of like, you're just kind of shooting yourself in the in the foot. And I think, you know, working with a coach obviously is really good to help, help with accountability and help keep you in check, but also to kind of educate you on, you know, this is the type of training we should be doing to set you up for success for your goals. Right, and I think people have this like, uh, association where they have to like go hard they have to like feel destroyed after a workout but really yep. if you're actually feeling at the end of the workout like you could do another rep um that's how you should actually feel so yep. that's like where you want to be um you know and if you feel like you could still do like three more reps hey mm -hmm. like then that then you're just going to recover even faster yes. you don't want to leave your workout or the track feeling like I couldn't do another one if you held a gun to my head. Like I just am done. Like that's not necessarily a good quality workout. You want to have a workout where you feel like you could do more because that means your body's gonna be able to recover faster and then you're gonna be able to get in more workouts and you're gonna be able to recover more. So basically it's like, you wanna do as much work as you possibly can while you can still recover quickly from it. So that's why the consistency, that's where that really comes into play. So we're not saying like, how often can you destroy yourself in a workout? We're asking like, let's try to go moderate. How often can you recover within two to three days to do another workout? Because then you're compounding all of the work that you're doing. And what happens to a lot of people when they raise their workouts or all of those things, they just either will get hurt, burnt out, or one, one, of, one of the two, or it's just too much on their body mm -hmm. that they stop improving. Um, so I think that's really important to keep in mind. And one way that you can really get those paces correctly is if you're doing a time trial or do a race. I see really often people, especially if they're like on a comeback. So let's say you just had a baby or, you know, you had a baby six months ago or you, for example, it's like you have a history in the sport of running, um, but maybe you took some time off. Some people, it's like they take time off, they get COVID, whatever. I, I hear a lot of stuff on social media and people are like, how do I know? Or like, I feel so out of shape or how do I know my paces? Well, unfortunately, you are probably going to have to just do a time trial. And I think mm -hmm. for a lot of people who have that background in the sport, so maybe you just had a baby or whatever, like you're coming back after an injury, a stress fracture people don't want to do a time trial. I mean, right. I know I don't want to do a time trial because it's like, I don't want to know how far away from my peak fitness I am because it just sucks to know. And um, if you have that history, it's like you're always comparing yourself to the past. But it's really important to realize like where you are today, where you are right now, so that you can train at the appropriate paces. Because if you're just like guessing, like if you're like, oh, well, I think I'm here, 
um, you might be running at the wrong paces, which is actually going to set you back even more. So it's better to yeah. just rip the bandaid off, figure out where you are so that you can be honest with yourself and train mm -hmm. at the appropriate paces versus making the assumption of, oh, I know what fitness I'm at. Yeah, I've had to do this a lot, especially coming back from injury. You know, it's not safe to go out and do a time trial. So you really have to be your own best uh, judgment as to right. what fitness you're in. So, you know, whatever you think that is, you, you use the calculator, figure out your paces. And it's better to be a bit conservative at first. And then you can always increase after like a month. You know, if your workouts are going well and you feel like you're recovering and you have a lot more in the tank, then you slowly ramp it up. And then you're, I think you're setting yourself up for more long-term success. But if you come back trying to run what you did, you know, previously, I think it's just gonna, it's a recipe for a disaster, so. Yeah, and I know it can be a really big blow on the ego. I've come back after, you know, having two kids, I've had a surgery before, so it's like, when you are in that comeback period, um, you know, it's, it's hard to be honest with yourself and just like, realize like where you're at, and I agree with you, sometimes it's like, you can't even do a time trial right away. So like mm -hmm. after, you know, having a kid, it's like you just have to do easy run walks and get to a place where you can just like run a couple miles continuously. And so you might not be able to do that time trial until, you know, a couple months after giving birth. And then when you do it, it's like maybe you do a couple of workouts before because you don't want to just completely go into this like two mile all out, um, completely destroyed. But when you do those first couple of workouts, it's like you just have to be so conservative and go more off of effort than, you know, thinking back to where you once were because sometimes it can be a long journey and back to where you were, but we're not going back to the past. We're moving into the future. And so you just have to believe that your fastest times are in front of you. And when you're really honest about like what paces feel, feel right, or just taking it really easy and slow, that's really how you get back or get mm -hmm. to that peak fitness. It's not by rushing the process or by, you know, forcing the same paces you used to run. Yeah. And even if your fastest days are behind you, you know, let's say in a certain distance, you can set new goals, right? So for me, you know, recently my strides pace is basically what my old half marathon or 10 mile pace used to be. And so just kind of setting different goals and figuring out what is it that you want right. to work towards. I think that is really key. And that can help you too to shy away from the paces, right? If you focus more on the process, what is it I want to train for? Um, you know, what kind of maybe shape do I want to be in at that point? And instead of comparing it to the past, you're comparing it to like where you are right, right in that moment. I think that that's going to help you. Right. And it sets you up for better success. Cause it's like, if you know where your fitness is at right now, you can actually run workouts that gain confidence and like build momentum versus like running a workout, feeling destroyed. Um, those sort of things. Cause I know coming back after the last, um, kid I had, it was like a lot of the workout, it was really hard for me mentally to see the sort of paces. Like I'd be doing, you know, two mile repeat or not two mile, two minutes. I would be running for two minutes at like my old marathon pace. And it, it just was like, wow, I used to be able to do this workout, you know, a minute right. per mile faster, or like 90 seconds per mile faster. But what ends up happening again is like the whole process of, I was able to recover. I was able to do the next workout and you actually gained fitness back, um, easier than it took you to like gain it the first time. So like your body mm -hmm. remembers and you just have to allow yourself that time to build the fitness back and it definitely will come back, especially if you're training appropriately. So the next thing that we see that's super common, which I actually personally have never really struggled with, but super common, and it can be something that a lot of people struggle with, um, is that over-focus on the long run and not the accumulative mileage. So what a lot of people will do is 
train for that big marathon, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously when you're training for a marathon, long runs are incredibly important. So I'm not saying that, oh, it doesn't matter. But what I am saying is like, so does your whole week. It's not just one run. So we really want to be major or consistent throughout the week so that we have mileage to support that long run. Um, and going back to what some of those groups did that we used yeah. to go to, some of these running groups, we'd kind of show up um, and it would just be like, let's go out and hammer that long run. And it would be like at marathon pace or a little bit slower. And that would be maybe, you know, you talk mm -hmm. to some people and you're like, oh, yeah, how was your, your training this week? Or like, did you do any workouts? And they're like, no, this is the first time I'm running since last week. Um, right. And that can be an easy, and I'm saying like, that is an easy pattern to fall into. Because if you're working, it's like, who wants to wake up early in the morning? So you have kids, like there's just so much going on. Like you got to do work, you got to do all of those things. But if you're really trying to advance as a runner and try to reach your potential we do have to be more consistent with those weekday runs so that we can like support that long run um because doing one long run or you know just a few runs per week and then a long run at marathon pace is only going to get you so far and again the law of diminishing returns what's going to end up happening is that you just don't have enough of the correct um stress in your training to make you get faster you're just going to be like maintaining or getting slightly slower and I know we've done pretty much full uh, length episodes on like the 20 mile long run and like training for marathons and stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of times we do put a lot of emphasis on like, you know, running super far just because we, we think, how are we going to be ready for, you know, 26.2 miles if I don't run at least 18, 19, 20 miles. And, um, you know, there are other methods at work and, you know, it's, it's proven that you can, it, you can actually be better prepared if you're running, let's say five days a week, mm -hmm. shorter runs, and maybe you only get up to like 15 or 16 on one, one run, as opposed to running like three days a week. And maybe you do get up to 18 or 20. Um, I think the consistency is really going to be more important. And I think it'll allow you to get more, some, you know, more quality out of your, your week to week runs. And, um, you mentioned the, the example of the person that maybe just showed up for the social runs and then they'd run at marathon pace. And if you're going to, if you're going to be tipping the scale in, in terms of like your long run being over 30% of your weekly mileage, um, you know, on occasion that's probably okay. But if you're someone that's showing up and you're doing that consistently and you're running it too fast, then there's that recipe for, um, you know, never really gaining the fitness. You're going to either be burnt out or injured or, um, you're just, your training is lacking in so many other areas. So, yeah. And yeah, there's that over-focus on the long run. A lot of people fall into that category. I've never really been one to do that because I I just, I don't know. Sometimes I just feel long runs are so daunting that I do pretty much anything I can to, like, avoid them, Same. right? I was, so, like, under-focused, yep. Right, so, like, that's probably, like, my weakness. So I have to focus more on, okay, do your long runs, Victoria. But I think most people, it's, like, the opposite. They really focus on that long run. Um, but you know, what's really interesting is I've done a few marathons where like, I don't really do, I mean, like I do long runs, but really what compared to what most people do, it's like, what are you doing? Um, so like one that's coming to mind is Twin Cities in 2019. Um, my long runs leading up to the race, cause I pretty much didn't know I was doing the race till I just game day decision. It's like, we had a one year old, like I was just like a mess, right? Like I could not train for this race, um, because it was just too much going on. And I just didn't want to like commit to training. Right. So in my training, it was like loose. I was like, maybe I will do a fall marathon. Maybe I won't. Um, so I pretty much only ran like one 15 and a 17 and the rest of my runs were like 10 um, as my long run. So I ended up running like really well and doing the negative split on the course. 
Uh, obviously, it wasn't like a PR or anything, but I felt really good. And so mm-hmm. when I was tapering for that race and doing it, I kind of felt a little crazy because I was like, oh my gosh, you've done literally one run over 15 miles. Like, you're not going to be able to do this. And the last time I ran a marathon was like a year prior. I was like, oh, like, what if you're just not prepared? Um, so I found this uh, method online called the Nine Mile Marathon. <laughs> So there's like a whole book about it, but essentially it's that you can run a marathon with nine miles being your longest run. And the idea is that you're running basically nine miles every day, which is like a 60 mile week. And so then I started looking at my training log and I asked myself like, well, how many times did you run like eight or nine miles? And I was like, well, I pretty much was doing that like almost every day. And so that's really what kind of inspired me is like, well, you know, that core mileage that you're doing really does pay off because... How was I able to run such a strong marathon? It was actually like a course PR on that course, um, like a negative split, and I felt really good, right? So I was like, there's got to be something to this. But I think it just goes to show that if you have a higher mileage or if you're training really consistently, even if you're missing like one piece that's obviously really important, like the long run, (laughs) um, you can still have such a strong foundation that it like almost carries you to... um, a good finish time. So again, it's like we could, you can go both ways, right? Like you can overfocus on the long run or you could make a mistake I've made in the past and just not, not really focus on it enough. Right. Yeah. To even run nine miles a day, that's going to take time to build up to. Right. And so the thought there is you've been consistent for some time. And so, you know, over time that's going to pay off. So take a beginner runner, for example, I think it'd be smarter to run three, four miles most days and then slowly build. And then I think you'd be better off if you've been doing that approach versus the occasional dart throws for the long runs, you know? So Yes, definitely. So there's always benefits to like being consistent. And I think that's just like a testament to like the more consistent you are, the easier it is to like pivot and be able to pretty much do any sort of race or build up for any race within a shorter period of time. And so um, that's why I think it's it's just a cool uh, book. So if anyone's ever interested, yeah, reading that nine mile marathon, it's pretty interesting. So the next uh, mistake, I guess you could say, that we see people make, which I think is like the most common, probably like, cause no one's perfect, right? Is um, just like the poor lifestyle habits, right? So not sleeping enough, poor nutrition, maybe drinking too much, all those things. So some runners tend to think that because they run, um, that alone just makes them super healthy. And I know that in my early 20s or even in my late 20s, like I pretty much thought that I was like invincible because I was running. I was like, well, I'm like the most healthy person ever. Cause like who, who else is running, mm-hmm. you know, so much, right? Except for runners. Um, but really I had to, you know, do like a hard stop and think about some of these things as I was getting older, I started like questioning, Oh, like maybe I'm not, you know, hundred percent healthy. It's like I had gestational hypertension, um, when I was like 28 with my last, uh, kid that I had. And I was like, why would I, why would I have gestational hypertension? And then after um, my pregnancy, like I was kind of monitoring it and noticing like, you know, my blood pressure is like 125 over whatever. And so I'd start to be like, well, it's a little bit elevated compared to, you know, like what, what maybe it used to be or whatever. And so some of those things are like lifestyle related, right? So it's like, what are you eating? What are you drinking? Those things play into Um, your performance as well. And so when you're talking about getting like the little extra edge, I think it's really important to be looking at all of those factors, right? 
And one of the big things that I see a lot on social media is like the the early morning runner, which I've definitely been there and I do that in the summer. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people will message me and be like, dude, like if you run at five in the morning, what time do you wake up? And I'm like, I don't know, like 4.30. And they're like, well, what time do you go to bed? And I think a lot of people are expecting me to be like 10. But I'm like, oh, I go to bed at like 8 or like 7.30. And they're like, mm-hmm. what? How? How? And it's just like you really have to make sure that your circadian rhythm is in line, right? We don't want to have like these drastic right. changes of like, okay, well, I go to bed at 11. I want to run at 5 in the morning, so I'm just going to like wake up at 4. That's like five hours of sleep. You have to make sure as an endurance athlete that you're getting adequate sleep. Like seven hours is the bare minimum. You should be striving for like eight or nine. Yeah, um, consistency with sleep is huge. So one of the biggest kind of um, mistakes I see with with athletes that I coach or start coaching is that, you know, they when they think about stress as a whole, right? They may be having a stressful week. Maybe they had a work project that took that took added extra stress where they had to work longer hours. Maybe they had to put their their dog down, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and then they go run a workout the next day and they wonder why it was like so hard. And it, and they also maybe got less sleep too. And so, you know, they comment, they put all this in there and I see it and I'm like, well, no wonder, like we should have modified your paces or right. we should have done half of what you did or whatever, or push the workout to Friday so you'd have more time to recover. And so we have to think about like all of these things that maybe add our, our little stressors in our life and how it might affect our running. And so you really got to give yourself grace and, and expect to make adjustments during times when when you have a high stress. Yeah, and I think we live in such a high, fast-paced society mm-hmm. that we're kind of trained, even starting as, like, young, little kids, just, like, keep moving forward, keep going, keep going, keep pushing. But, like, in reality, our bodies are always trying to, like, send us information. And, and when we have, like, those stressful days or when it just seems, like, really overwhelming, I think, you know, instead of focusing on like what's going on like how am I feeling like let's lean into these feelings um I think a lot of people in our culture have the tendency to like try to suppress the feeling and then just push through right and so what ends up happening there is people will like push through and maybe they should have taken an extra rest day or you know they think oh maybe I'm getting sick like my kid's sick and then it's like well I'm gonna go out and do my workout and I've definitely fallen into that camp like when my first son or my first kid was born, he he got sick a lot, right? And so, like, you're going to daycare, you're getting exposed to all of those illnesses, and as a result, like, I kept getting sick, right? And eventually, I mean, I just had, like, such a bad span of, like, being so dehydrated from getting so sick with, like, a stomach bug, um, and then, like, having two sinus infections, bronchitis, all within, like, a four-month span. And people on social media would be like, oh, that's what happens when you have kids. And I just, I felt like, no, like that's not, this isn't normal. I was like, what is wrong with me? And so eventually I just had to do some like research on like the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system and realizing that like, yo, Victoria, you need to slow your roll. Like you you can't do everything. You can't always be in this like hyper state of stress. And you know, you think that running is like helping with those things. But in reality, if you're trying to train for an event, um, that in itself is like a massive stress in your life because you're doing hard workouts and you're asking your body to like recover and repair and make all of these adaptations. But if you're doing that on top of an already very stressful situation, like your kids are getting sick or, you know, you have really hard work projects going on, you're making a ton of hires or whatever it is, um, 
you really need to start reevaluating and saying like maybe I would actually be better off if this week I only do easy running or if this week I only do one workout instead of two. And so what happens with a lot of people is they just try to grind, 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 push through it. And I think that's where we see a lot of people with the reoccurring um, like viruses because their body's like in such a state of depletion that they just like have such a weakened immune system because that's really what happened to me. I remember asking even the doctors like, why do I keep getting mm-hmm. sick? And I was like, is it because like my kid goes to daycare and they're like, ah, like literally one doctor said I don't think it's that and I was like what does she mean and she didn't want to tell me like I think you're just too stressed (laughs) like I think you're just doing too much Um, but having a reevaluation of all those things and then trying to figure out how can I adjust my training so that it like fits in my life and I'm not constantly digging myself into these holes and another thing that's really wanting to touch on with like the nutritional aspect of things is drinking right so we as a culture i think we're we're, we live in a culture where a lot of people will drink and um that's kind of like a glorified thing right so sometimes after (laughs) i remember when you ran the chicago marathon they actually like the first time i saw you, you had two beers in your hand and I was like, what What did they do? And you're like, they handed us two beers. Like, there was no water. They just handed you two beers. You ran, like, a 246 marathon. You, you were like, this is disgusting. But that's what they do. Like, at the finish line of these races, it's like, here's some liquor. Here's some beer. So what do you have to say about that? <laughs> yeah, I just remember I felt sick. I couldn't even drink anything. But, um, yeah, I know we've done races. Like, we got, we, there used to be this 5K at night here. And mm. it was, like, a party after, right? And so a lot of races, they... You know, it's it's all about the event and celebrating. And I think a lot of runners, we go up to Grams Marathon, there's beer tents, and there's just a yep. lot of celebrating after these events, right? And so part of what people enjoy is the social aspect yeah. on top of just, like, the fact that you're running, right? But you're meeting other runners, you're hanging out with other runners, you share a similar passion. You may be there with friends, family that you maybe only see on those occasions. And so um, a lot of times, yeah, drinking can get out of hand. And I think back to college, <laughs> like... You know, we had teammates who would be so hungover the next morning for our long runs, and it's like, how, how could they even get it in? I don't know. But I think, um, you know, obviously what the recommendation is, one one drink a day for women, two for men. You know, anything over that, so, yeah. it's going to have probably effects on your running. And so um, you have to consider, you know, everything comes with balance, right? Same with eating unhealthy and greasy right. foods and all of that. So you have to really watch it if you're expecting to perform at a high level or to be recovered for your next workout and all of that. Right. And I think the whole like celebratory thing after a marathon, like I totally get it. And like, I pretty much, I mean, you know, I've done like 22 marathons. I'm pretty sure after every single one of them, I'm sure I probably, you know, had a drink. Right. But if you really think about it at like a physiological level, like the best thing you can do after a marathon would be like to not drink. Right. Like if you're trying to help with the recovery process, I mean, like the best thing they could be doing is like handing out, you know, some like green juice or something like at the finish, like anything that has like antioxidants to like help you. But it's like, no, let's just party. And so I think sometimes as athletes, it's like you get in that mentality of like, that's how I celebrate after um, like a hard workout too. So I know some of like the run groups that we do, um, even like Lifetime Fitness, they did like a, I feel like they do like a bar hop run or something, which is fun, right? And that's cool. But I think for some people, it like it gets to that like out of hand stage where it's like after every long run we're going to brunch we're going to do like mimosas and stuff and it's like if you're doing that every single 
weekend, right. like after your long run or you're doing it like a lot, we might realize that like, hey, this actually maybe is like holding you back from reaching your potential. And some people like say, hold, but after I drink, like I, I can run fine. And it's like, that might be the case. But again, it's like all these other principles we were talking about. Have you ever tried to eliminate it for an entire training cycle, like the whole cycle and see, am I recovering better? Do right. I feel better? Because sometimes people will be like, oh, yeah, I didn't drink for a week. I didn't notice anything. And it's like, well, okay, like one week versus like mm-hmm. 60 days is very different. Yeah, definitely nothing wrong with, you know, the post-celebratory drinks. I'm guilty of that. I enjoy those. But the the fact is if you can kind of, and I've done this, I think when we, when we met, I was not drinking the month before my marathon because I thought it really made a difference. But it also was more for the discipline um factor that i just wanted to have in myself i wanted to be fully focused on training and sleep and making sure that i wasn't going to get sick and so like all of these things that you maybe do on the side they can kind of compromise that and i just wanted to see if i could do it and to also avoid the staying all late with friends and you know Mm. being out on the the weekend till 2 a.m and all that so i think like you said just having good balance and knowing like the timing too and i think a lot of people you know, after the marathon, that's usually when they're going to take a break, right? So I guess that might be the time to have have some enjoyment. But you don't want to be doing it every Saturday night or Friday night, especially if you have a long run the next weekend. And I do see that often in the logs of my athletes when I check their logs, how they said they had too much wine the night before or whatever. They went out for a birthday party and then they had to do their long run. And so just kind of being mindful of that. Right. And I'm not trying to tell people like how to live their lives. Like I've definitely had marathon training cycles where it's like, you know, you drink before a long run, whatever. Um, that's probably like almost all of my marathon training cycles. But in the last like two years, I started like reevaluating, like, is this like actually hurting me? Cause I think I had this, um, like invincible sort of attitude towards it. Like, Oh, it doesn't impact me. Like I've always done it this way. Like no big deal. But it's like, well, you've always done it this way. Like what if you didn't do it this way like what if you just eliminated it and so I think it was last year like July 1st I was like I'm gonna do this 75 hard whatever where you basically don't drink it was pretty much like an excuse for me to see like what happens like if I don't drink during a training cycle and so I did that for you know like 70 70 some days and then um, like I did like this half marathon race and I felt so good during that training I went into that half like feeling the best I've ever felt and um, like I ended up running like a massive PR like I never thought I was going to take off that much time off of my half time so from May to September I went from like a 129 half to like a 122 half which was like crazy I'm like I don't even know because I was like stuck at the same time of like 129 128 127 for gosh I don't know probably six six or seven years and then to like have such a big breakthrough I mean obviously it was like fast course and stuff like that but still I'm like okay there has to be something to not having that in my routine right like so I was able to I slept way better and then I was also able to like be more consistent with my workouts and I think I was able to like get a little like a teeny bit of an extra edge where I didn't have a compromised recovery from my workouts and so I really think that that was all it was was like I wasn't compromising my recovery in between workouts I was able to do more workouts um, and do more long runs that sort of thing so I was able to actually get in more training just because I wasn't drinking as much Whereas if you would have told me that, you know, three years ago, I would have been like, my training is not affected by my, my drinking at all. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. could talk all day about it. But, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, I mean, it's just like if you've tried everything, maybe this is the thing like you try for your next training cycle. But the thing that inspired me actually is I did a marathon in June and one of the guys was talking to me and I asked his PR and, and he was saying like he, he ran a sub three ones like long ago when right. it was like in his 40s. And he was like, yeah, but I had to, you know, it took me 10 years to get there. And like, 
the, right. the training cycle. He's like, I didn't drink. I didn't eat meat. He was like saying he was like so Jeez. meticulous about every little thing. And I just remember thinking in my head, I was like, well, that probably didn't do anything. It's like on your head. And then I was like, no, like it well, obviously did. Like if he's reciting this like 25 years later, where he's right. like, I didn't drink. I didn't like eat like crap. I was like, maybe it is the thing that gave him this extra edge. So I was like, man, maybe I'll try it. Well, that's just it. For some people, it can give them that discipline. And if they're disciplined enough to do right. that and give that up, maybe they're disciplined enough to make sure they're strength training three days a week or getting eight, eight plus hours of sleep a night or yes. other things that are going to help elevate their running as well. So it's kind of more so than just giving up the, the drinking. Totally. But, um, and I think that's part of it is like when you start like viewing your identity different of like, I'm just like so healthy. I'm going to make all these like positive choices. You start to just like, it's like almost a momentum thing, right? So you build all this momentum and you feel like you're really in it. Um, so maybe that's just making better choices to like go to bed earlier. Um, it all starts with like one small decision and those things can be like built on over time if you kind of want to make those decisions. But again, just some little like hacks that some people think help them to improve. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a really cool episode. I liked sharing some of these things. So again, just a quick recap of everything that we covered, some of the things that are going to help um, if, if you're looking to you know, improve your training. I think one of the things is making sure you're not doing too many different activities. So the Orange Theory, the Zumba, the yoga, like all of those things, we really wanna make sure there's a the time and place and prioritizing our running if running is our main goal for what our goals are. Um, and then running too fast on your easy days. We just want to make sure that we're allowing ourselves to slow down. Sometimes we need to slow down slower than two to three minutes per mile, slower than 5k pace. And it really takes, um, like a season for, to this, for this to really like start to pay off. Some people are like, I did that for a month or two and we really want to do it for longer than that. But again, going hand in hand with the easy days, the next thing is doing the wrong types of workouts or racing your workouts. We want to make sure that we're keeping our workout days at like that 70 to 80% effort. We don't want to be going all the way into the well every time that we're doing this because it takes too long to recover. So making sure you're pairing those easy days with hard running days. The next thing is over focusing on the long run and not enough on that accumulative mileage. So just the consistency of running throughout the week is super important. So don't hyper focus on the long run. It's important to have all of that together. And then the next thing was just the lifestyle habits, um, sleeping enough, and then like the nutritional aspect of things. So this was a really fun podcast to do. Hopefully you guys got something out of it. If you're interested in working with a coach or seeing more about like what should my easy pace be, what should some of these hard workouts be, we would love to chat more with you and help you figure out what that missing piece might be for you. So if you fill out the form at www.runforprs.com, we can get you set up with a free seven day trial. Again, that's www.runforprs.com and we can get you set up with a free seven day trial. Thanks for tuning in.